is uh, the podcast a little bit too long for you? Maybe you don't have the time. Maybe you don't have the patience. Love Neanderthal podcast, but can't listen to it in front of your kids because, well, I've got a potty mouth. Good news, everybody. I introduce to you now Primordial Ooze. It is a roughly 20-minute segment uh, of the podcast of uh, each week. And uh, some past ones where I just take about 20 minutes out of that episode. I clean it up. I take all out all the cuss words. So that way even my mom can listen to it. And it's about 20 minutes long. So if you just need something to listen to on your way to work, I'm hoping this is it. And I hope it maybe gets you interested in listening in to more of the uh, episodes that I have. Especially for the 20 minutes long. And don't forget to support me, if you would like, at patreon.com slash Podcast. It really means a lot. You guys really have no idea how much just a dollar a month can go towards me. And uh, I, I appreciate everybody out there listening, supporting me, liking my Instagram posts, subscribing to my channels. Thank you so much for everything you guys do. And I hope you enjoy Primordial Ooze. Primordial ooze, also sometimes referred as prebiotic broth, is the hypothetical set of conditions present on Earth around 4 to 3.7 billion years ago. It is a fundamental aspect to the heterotrophic theory of the origin of life. How many people are researching their, you know, if they're just dropping their kid off at a quote-unquote karate school or whatever the kind of school it is, like, how many of these parents are really investigating who these uh these these teachers are you know well, i mean you should I, a good teacher you know you should i mean I, I that's why i do what i do it's it's one of those things where the martial arts industry is a very strange place um one there is no regulating body to martial arts at all so anybody at all at any time can just go i'm the 85th degree black belt of whatever style i decided to make up open up a martial arts school and call it Steve's all you can eat Chinese food emporium and karate, you know, <laughs> you come for the karate, but you stay for the egg roll, you know, and then after that decide that they're just going to open up a school and people, as long as they're charismatic enough and good at business, they can just operate and no one's going to call them out on it because no one can actually stop them because there's no law to stop <clears throat> Shuckster. And so I actually started McDojo life specifically because of a conversation that I had with a student. So at the time, I was a program director at a jiu-jitsu academy. Uh, I ran their kids program and their striking program and did most of the paperwork. So I wore many hats. <laughs> and so I'm at the desk one day. My boss calls me and he goes, hey, man, I'm not feeling very well. Could you do me a favor and just teach the class for me today? And I give him credit. Like, that was probably the only time this dude ever called out sick and call it fate or irony or I don't know what you would call it, but the only time I remember this dude ever calling out sick quite literally changed my life. So like I wind up uh, going on the mat, teaching class, super basic stuff, arm bar, triangle choke, transition between the two and then spar. Then after that, because it was a noon class, most of the dudes there didn't work like because they were there for the noon class. So they were either off for the day or, you know, financially well-to-do. So we're shooting it after class and we got on the subject of McDojo's. And so as we're talking about that for a good 30, 45 minutes, there was one guy there. It was only a second class ever. After everybody left, he pulls me off to the side and he goes, hey, man, I'm a little embarrassed. He goes, you guys were talking about something called the McDojo. He goes, I don't know what that is. It's only like my second class. Could you like maybe explain that a little bit more to me? 
And so I did, which has since kind of become the basis of the five rules of the page. Um, but when I explained it to him, he asked me a really simple question. And I don't know why it never clicked. But he said, how come no one does anything about that? I was sitting there thinking about it. I was like, that's a good question. I was like, I really have no answer for you. I don't know why people don't talk about this more or bring it up more. So I researched it that night because I couldn't stop thinking about that question. And then it, it came to me that there was only one website at the time that even remotely was trying to talk about it. It was called Bullshito.com. Oh, cool. And Bullshito was a forum, but all it really was doing was it was just people like there was no real resolve. There was no real solution. It was just like, this guy sucks. And I noticed there was a lot of waving in there. Like people were just making fun of things that probably shouldn't have been made fun of. And then I realized like, well, in order for you to fix the problem, you have to define the problem. If you can't define the problem, you can't fix it. And so that night I sat down, I started like writing up. I was like, well, what is really a McDojo? Because if you ask a whole bunch of different people, they're going to give you different answers. Some people are going to say it's a belt factory. Like they just give away belts. Well, that's weird because there is no standard for that. So like, for instance, if you go to Taekwondo, people in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu will make fun of guys in Taekwondo because it only takes them two to three years to get a black belt in some organizations. But meanwhile, BJ Penn got his black belt in three years, but they don't make fun of that guy. You know, right. it's like, well, well, he earned it. No, the fact is, is that he did your style. And so you respect it. You just don't respect the other style, but that doesn't make them fraudulent. It just makes them different. So that about how long it takes you to get a belt can't be the answer. Then some people will go, well, they charge too much. Well, that's subjective. Just because you can't afford it doesn't mean other people can't. You wouldn't call a Lamborghini, you know, like a McDojo car <laughs> because it's expensive. It just means you can't afford it. And so that couldn't be the answer. So I really defined five specific rules that were universal that I have yet to have anyone disagree with. And um, which is amazing to me because I would have figured there would have been at least one person be like, no, that doesn't count. Um, but then after that, it kind of got the ball rolling. But what are those five rules? Uh, one, no pedophiles. Um, you shouldn't have pedophiles in the martial arts industry. If someone's been convicted of pedophilia, um, they should not be around the industry, primarily because there are a lot of children in the martial arts industry and pedophilia is rampant in the industry. I never thought about that. I never thought, but it makes so much sense. Of course, pedophiles always surround themselves around children. Oh, yeah. man, oh that's, I hate that. that's so scary. I really hate that. All right. So I, that's rule one. No, no pedophiles. I like that rule. <laughs> yeah. And again, like all the rules I'm about to give you, almost everyone has universally agreed to like some people are like, well, that doesn't count like pedophiles, of course. Like, yeah, but that's why it's a rule. Like people are so busy <laughs> about how long it takes to get a belt or how good someone is that they completely ignore major issues. Like if you typed in martial arts arrested on Google, chances are good within the last week or so someone got convicted of pedophilia who was a martial arts instructor. I guarantee it. I do news stories every week. Um, so pedophiles is one. Um, lying about your belt rank or your fight record. So in, the, in martial arts, when you first go to a facility, um, sorry, I'm writing them down so I keep track. Um, but when you go to a martial arts facility, the first conversation you have with an instructor is about them. <laughs> like you, you want to learn about what you're about to learn. And so they typically give you their expertise and what they are qualified to teach you. So if they're willing to lie to you in the first minute of meeting you, they're going to lie about it. Load more. 
Right. And so lying about your belt ranking, your fight record is very important. It's the equivalent in the martial arts industry of stolen valor. If you fought. Oh, wow. Okay. If if you didn't, you didn't. And it's okay if you didn't. If you never fought a day in your life, that's okay. No one gives John Donahue a hard time. And for anybody who doesn't know, John Donahue is the person who is training Gordon Ryan. He trains, uh, taught at Henzo Gracie's facility. He's an absolute legendary instructor. He himself is not a world champion, but that doesn't matter because he's honest and he makes champions. And so that's okay, you know, as long as you're honest. Um, Rule number three is unsafe training practices and cult-like behavior. So unsafe training practices and the cult-like behavior is something that is really funny because a lot of people will accuse traditional martial arts of being culty. Mm -hmm. Um, when the most culty I've seen actually does come from (laughs) jujitsu and I am a purple belt in Brazilian jujitsu myself. I absolutely love jujitsu, but the culty stuff comes out of there. There's a term in Brazilian jujitsu called a crianche and I'm not Portuguese. I don't (laughs) speak Portuguese. So obviously I butchered it, but a crianche was a soap opera character that was very shady and manipulative. And in Brazilian jujitsu, a crianche is a term for someone who's a traitor. For someone who goes to another martial arts facility other than yours and trains with them, that's not how this works in real life, you crazy sons of <laughs> like in real life, you know, I'm paying you for a service. And what I do outside of this facility is none of your business. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> like, oh my God, he went and trained in another facility. Who gives it? Did he pay for it? Is he allowed? He's a human. He can do whatever he wants. But the moment an instructor tells you what you can and cannot do, obviously within reason. Obviously, you shouldn't go out and represent their school in a negative way and blah, blah, blah. I get that. But they can't tell you where you can and can't train. You would ne- That would never work in any other place. You would never go to Walmart and be like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I went to Publix the other day. Is that cool? And some yeah. cashier is like, get the fuck out of here. Never come back. Get out of here. <laughs> you traitor. What a traitor. Yeah. You know, nice. you never, that would never work. So, but unsafe training practices is the other caveat to that, which is, you know, having your students just line up and hitting them in the head and making them take it because it's going to toughen them. That's not how science works, you geniuses. But overseas, you get this a lot because there's just not enough education on those subjects. And even in the United States, research about TBIs and CTE wasn't really a big deal until like the last like 20 years. Like if you really think about it, like even that, even if that, right, if that, that's right, you know, um, Chris Benoit was probably the biggest case that really did like push it into like the forefront of people looking into it. I'd say um, that or uh, oh, who's that? Was it Mateo? Manti, Manti Teo? Or was that who was the guy that shot himself? Was he the football the player? Yeah, he was the football player. I think it was uh, Aaron Hernandez. No, no, way before that. I think his name was Manti Teo. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. You know, it's, it's scary stuff. And as a fighter, you will get hit, but it's kind of like saying as a NASCAR driver, you will get into a wreck. Like, okay, that's fair. You will probably get into a wreck sometime, multiple times in your career. The goal isn't to get into the wreck. The goal is to win the race. So what you don't do as a NASCAR driver is practice running your car hundreds of miles an hour into a wall (laughs) to prepare yourself. That would be ridiculous, right? But overseas, you have these people who are like, well, we want to prepare you for getting hit. So just stand there and take it. It's like, no, you morons. Like that, again, that's the equivalent of asking a NASCAR driver to run 100 miles an hour into a wall well, to prepare them for the wreck. That's well, just ridiculous. Well, listen, if, if Dale Earnhardt would have maybe practiced a few run into the wall, he still might be with us today. Or he might not be with us at all before that race. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you might not have made it to the race. Uh-huh. Um, oh. uh, number five is uh, no-touch knockouts and mislabeling technique. So obviously, like I say obviously because we're sane human beings, I'm assuming, um, no-touch knockouts is something that's practiced all over the world. They just call it something different. So some people will say it's project projecting your chi. Some people will say it's your key spelled K-I. Some people will say it's your key spelled Q-I. Some people will call it the Holy Spirit. Some people will call it Tanaga Dalam. Some people <laughs> will call it Ilmu Ludani. Like Jeez. it just goes on and on. All around the world in multiple cultures, they call it something different. But universally, for some reason, it's in every culture. And so people thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people the no knockout them, the no yeah, knockout they believe no touch no knock wave what your is hand it? and knock someone unconscious okay. Wait, every culture has that every culture name one we what is that what is ours what's the american's version of it it would basically come through christianity it would be the holy spirit so you'll see stuff like that with televangelists who wave oh their yeah <laughs> so, yeah like or yes. in Russia, Systema. Uh, Systema does a lot of that in Russia. If you look up Mikhail Rybak or Rybov, I forget his name, but big fat guy. Everybody's like, they taught the Spetsnaz. It's like, it's not how the military works. Any military doesn't work that way. Like, and I'm dumbfounded by this lie of Systema. Like, oh my God, they have to be legit because they taught the Spetsnaz. Like, you understand. I don't even know what that is. I've never even heard of this word or say, I never even heard what you're talking about right here. Which one, the Spetsnaz or Systema? Yeah, both. Uh, Spetsnaz is a uh, Russian special forces. Okay. So they're like tip of the spear. It would be, I'm not, I, I don't necessarily know if they would be the equivalent of our seals, but they are the elite of the elite. In okay. Russia. And Sistema is a Russian martial art. Um, and their figureheads is, uh, the figurehead is Mikhail Rybov. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm butchering his name. Obviously I don't care because he's a fraud. So he can, but uh, Mikhail has done things where he'll have someone lay on the ground and he'll wave his hand and they're like, I can't move. I just can't get up. And he's like, yes, I know. And they'll explain scientifically how he's manipulated their energy and they can't get up and then he'll wave his hand and they can get back up. And what's funny is people will defend system systema to the grave and they'll go, Oh my God, system is so legit because they taught special forces. Well, how about let's give an example of our special forces. Do you remember a story called the men who stare at goats? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a real story. That's CIA. Really CIA. That was like a CIA thing, right? Like we're that was to... our, our military. Our right. government paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to try to train special soldiers to give them superpowers, like things like walking through walls or uh, astral projection or mind reading, like right. all that, right? Obviously, all they really did was just punch a bunch. Uh, uh, pump a bunch of soldiers full of drugs and then hope for the best. But um, that's a ridiculous stain on our military is the fact that we bought into that bullet. Um, and so, but that no one would say, oh, that's legit because our government paid for it. Like no one would say that. They would be like, yeah, that was just a really stupid oversight. But on the other hand, you have Sistema and people talk about that. Well, how real militaries work is they bring in multiple instructors from all kinds of different walks of life, from all kinds of martial arts backgrounds to teach special forces units. So you'll have a JKD guy, like somebody like Dan and Asanto has taught special forces before. Somebody like a Paul Vunak who's taught Navy SEAL teams before. Um, somebody like, um, you know, 
uh, the Gracie family, who they brought multiple times in to teach special forces units, like, but they don't just teach them one thing, <laughs> like, they pay right. for a lot of different things. So when Russia goes, yeah, or when people try to defend Sistema by saying, yeah, they taught the Spets, and I was like, they're not the only ones who did. And just because they did that, that doesn't make them valid. <laughs> like they got hired for a job. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I've never heard of that one. Um, what What's going on with people that are believing this? Because when you do watch those videos, that, clearly that person, if the 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 power of chi, where it's like Goku's invisible fireball hitting somebody, what is it to the person that? I don't understand the person that when they get hit by the chi and they throw themselves back. Obviously, they're not feeling anything. It's a part of it. They have to know they're acting and putting on this big show. What is up it? To a point. Up, 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 up to a point. So like uh, just for anybody who wanted it, the last one, shady business practices on the rule set. But when it comes to the victims, and I call them victims because it's just like any other cult. The hard part is, is that when we look at martial arts, we have a hard time making martial arts and cults fit together. We look at religion and easily say that's a cult, right? We can look at somebody in like Benny Hinn and he waves his jacket and 30 people fly back and you go, how, how do these people believe that? Well, the, it starts off just like anything else. It starts off with a grooming process. So it's not like you get to that point the first day you show up. That's not how any of this has ever worked. That's not how a long con works at all. The first thing I need to do is I need to start slowly brainwashing you over a long period of time. And then I need to start isolating you. So by isolating you, that might not necessarily just be physical. That might be mental. So for instance, in jujitsu, when, like I said before, the term crianch, oh, you can't go train over there. If you go train over there, you're a traitor. That's isolation. That's a part of grooming. You have to think the way we think. You have to do what we do. Or the consequences are we excommunicate you. Now, if you think about it from a term of like somebody who just started, they, they either stay or leave, right? You got to figure for every cult, there are a ton of people that never even joined up because they thought it was ridiculous. Right. But for every like hundred people who thought it was ridiculous, one signs up. <laughs> and so, um, but the one who signs up in order for them to be manipulated, you have to start convincing them that what you're doing is good for them. You also have to start convincing them that this is your friends. This is your family. So you'll hear a lot of speak like that. Like, oh, this is our family here. Like, no, it's not. That's a group of people you hang out with. They might be your friends, your acquaintances. That's not your actual family when you start doing that you're changing somebody's ideology you're starting to slowly but surely manipulate them into believing that this is my family it's my extended family but it's my family okay and then when i put you in a position finally you have to make a decision i start doing this and you already know what's expected of you you already know it's expected that you fall over and if you don't fall over without me touching you what happens is now you run a risk of making the instructor upset you run a risk of losing your friends. You run a risk of losing your hobby. You run a risk of losing what's now considered your family. And on top of that, an ideology, which is extremely difficult to change people's minds on. Once somebody has a belief, it's up to them to change it. You will not change someone's belief. They have to want to change it. And so they get caught in this situation where it's like, okay, if I fall over, I can continue life as normal. But if I don't fall over, I lose everything. To them, everything. It's not, but they're convinced that it is. And so they fall over. And at first, yeah, they might be pretending. But the problem is with ideology is over a long period of time, you can start believing some really stupid. And so 
they might not believe it at first, but over a long period of time, they definitely could start believing it. They could really believe like heart rates could go up, blood pressure could drop, like it could actually give them a placebo effect. Wow. Now they're doing it to themselves. Wow. They are, they're 100% right. doing it to themselves, but it is a placebo effect based on manipulation over a long period of time. Wow. So if you ever talk to these wackos, which I have to, um, what you wind up hearing is a lot of like, I, I promise you it's real. I was there. It happened to me. It's like, look, man, I could do a couple magic tricks right now and convince you that they were real. But the problem is, is that I will tell you that it's a magic trick before I do it. So you know, it's a trick. If I did it without telling you that, I might convince you that it's chi, the Holy Spirit, some type of higher deity or power, but it's not. It's just a trick. But to them, their life is everything to that cult. That is their life. And so it's a very difficult thing to try to get them out. And that's why I do what I do. I might not be able to get those people out, but if I can just show enough evidence that people will be aware that that's a real thing that happens to people. I can get less people to join them. And then, you know, I do my job.